Take your Bibles and turn with me to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and uh, on chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. As we uh, turn there, I want to make you aware of a few things or remind you of a few things. One is tonight, um, the, uh, there's going to be a send-off for the W family. Uh, these are global workers that, that we've just recently gotten to know and uh, have been investing in a relationship and investing in um, the work that they're going to be doing. And uh, the, uh, the W family is going to be sent off by their home church up in Mineral Wells, Indian Creek Baptist Church. And uh, that'll be at 5 o'clock there at Indian Creek Baptist Church. And uh, if you are able to come, I would love to invite you to to be there. Uh, My family intends to be there, and we look forward to being able to... to, to be a part of that, that service to send them off. And so I uh, want to make sure you're aware of that tonight at 5. Uh, second, uh, last week I uh, mentioned to you uh, in, in detail about this, but there's a conference coming up this fall uh, put on by the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, uh, and it's going to be hosted up in Granbury at Grace Bible Church. It's a conference training uh, people in biblical counseling and disciple-making. And uh, as I said last week, we all are counselors, uh, if you've ever said, I think you ought to do this, or here's what you need to believe about that, uh, you're a counselor, and uh, the question just is, is, is your counsel biblical? And so uh, if you want to uh, be further equipped to be able to speak the, wor- the truth of God's word in a way that is relevant to uh, particular uh, problems that we face, and uh, if you want to be uh, to grow as a disciple maker, this is a great event for you. It'll be September. Uh, so it'll be across three different weekends in the fall. Uh, the first one is September fifteenth and sixteenth. The second is October twentieth and twenty-first, and the third is November seventeenth and eighteenth. Uh, the price for uh, the registration goes up July first, and so if you're interested in being a part of this, go ahead and uh, and sign up now so that you can get in on that uh, that rate. So that's the the biblical counseling and discipleship conference coming up. Third, I want to let you know about, uh, well, first of all, those of you who were at uh, the, the, not at the park last, last Wednesday, but up here, which turned into a game night, uh, did, did you enjoy that? Was that fun? Yes, all right. I know, hey, you got you to speak up twice as loud for all the people who are out of town this, this weekend, okay? Um, yeah, okay, well, if you liked it, that's great because we're going to do it again next Sunday. <laughs> um, so next Sunday night at uh, 5.30, we're going to have a churchwide game night up here on the campus in the air conditioning. So we had previously put on the schedule, in fact, if you see like the, the posters uh, around, uh, we'd previously put on the schedule that, the, that July 2nd was going to be home fellowship and July 9th was going to be Rocky Point at the the park. We've switched that. It's going to be a a game night on the 2nd instead of the park, and then our community groups will do home fellowship on July 9th, July 9th. And that game night next Sunday, uh, July 2nd, uh, is not only going to be a chance for us to, as a, as a family to come together and just spend time with one another as a whole church, but it's also going to be a chance for us as a church to recognize Lindsay Lewis. Uh, Lindsay is going to be, her, her last Sunday with us is going to be July 9th, uh, but she has uh, been a member of our church for uh, about 
five years now and uh, has faithfully served our church, and she is uh, going to, uh, actually up to Louisville, Kentucky, where she's headed right now uh, for camp, but she's going for seminary to get further trained to be able to serve in the local church. And uh, so uh, we are, as a church, going to have a chance to say goodbye to her um, as part of that game night on the 2nd. So I want you to be aware of that. Um, also, uh, one, one last thing on the game night, we are going to go picnic style on food. So bring food for your family, and we'll eat together at the game night, and then we'll uh, and bring games as well. Um, so, uh, all right, that's next Sunday, July 2nd, game night. And then I, I have one, one last announcement that I'm going to make at the end of the service, and I'll say this right now, it's a good announcement, it's not bad news, so, you, so that you can, you know... Let, you know, let the air out and, and breathe and not have that be the only thing you're thinking about for the rest of the service. It is good. It's about the Great Commission and discipleship. It's great. We're going to announce it at the end because uh, just for the sake of time and to allow a chance for uh, any questions that you might have. And so just uh, when we're, uh, we take the Lord's Supper at the end of the service, don't you know, dart out. We've got one last thing we want to talk about. All right, well, before we get into uh, the sermon, we've uh, got a verse that we've been memorizing together, working on, Mark 10.45, and uh, that's the help you get. It is Mark 10.45, all right? Let's see if we can recite that together. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10.45. Praise the Lord. Well, um, as we come to our time of the preaching of God's Word, let's pray together. Father, we want to hear from you. Lord, our lives depend on you speaking to us. So, Lord, we thank you for your word, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would reveal your truth in writing and give it to us as a gift. And so, Lord, as we come to this time of of the preaching of your word, Lord, I I pray that you would work, and Lord, I I pray that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit, uh, that I might speak the very utterances of God, pray that you would enable me to, to serve with the strength that you supply. Lord, I pray for all those who are in my hearing, Lord, that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit. You would open their eyes to see wonderful things in your word. You would show them who you are. You move them to faith in you. Lord, that you would realign their perspective in accordance with your perspective. And Lord, that you would make us more like Christ. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, we looked at Revelation 4 and 5, and we just read Revelation 5 a few moments ago. We saw in those chapters God, the Father, seated on the throne of heaven. Uh, We saw his terrifying righteousness and his unapproachable holiness. And we saw the unceasing worship of heaven around the throne. We saw how God sovereignly reigns over all of creation and how he is the author of all of history. 
We also saw in that throne room a a symbolic drama unfold. God the Father, as we read a moment ago, had a sealed scroll in His right hand which contained His sovereign plan of judgment and redemption. But only the Messiah was worthy to take the scroll and open its seals and unfold God's plan. And this Messiah conquered as a slain lamb. He died to purchase people from, uh, for God from every nation on earth to make them citizens of the kingdom of God. He rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven. He seated at the right hand of God the Father. And because Jesus died and rose again, He is worthy to unfold God's sovereign plan of judgment and redemption. Well, in our text today, Revelation 6, Jesus begins to open the scroll. In chapters 6 through 8, Jesus will open each one of the seven seals that seal this scroll. Chapter 5, again, showed a picture of Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension and even his sending out of the Holy Spirit into all the world. And what we're going to see when we come to the seventh seal is that the final judgment is over with the seventh seal. So, in between then, what we have in these seven seals are a vision of uh, something that represents the entire period of time between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. When these symbolic seven seals are opened up, John will see symbolic visions of different elements of this period of time between Jesus' ascension and his return. So today we're going to look at the first six of these seals, and uh, with that, let's read together Revelation chapter 6. And since these words are breathed out by God and come with the very authority of Jesus himself, if you're able, would you please stand with me? In honor of the reading of God's perfect word. Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. 
And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until a number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? The grass withers. The flower fades. But the Word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. titled the sermon, Justice is Coming. Justice is Coming. Jesus wants us to know that justice is coming. For some, this is welcome news. For those who are victims of injustice, Coming justice is cause for celebration. For those who long to see the guilty receive their due, the fact that judge, justice is coming is reason for hope. For others, this news that justice is coming is a sober warning. For those who have sinned, against God on the throne. Coming justice is cause for terror. For those who have rejected Christ, coming justice means the end of all hope. In either case, the message of Revelation 6 is clear. Justice is coming. So what do we do with that news? What do we do with the news that justice is coming? Well, I see three different ways that we need to respond to this coming justice 
in Revelation 6. We need to heed the warning of Christ. We need to rest in the vengeance of Christ. And we need to beware the wrath of Christ. First, if justice is coming, we need to heed the warning of Christ. Heed the warning of Christ. Look with me again at the first seal in verses 1 and 2. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. So this vision of this first horseman is actually somewhat similar to a picture we're going to see in Revelation 19 of the second coming of Jesus. John is going to see Jesus riding on a white horse. Uh, He'll have crowns on his head. So the similarity is striking. We've got to do something with that. But as you look at those two pictures, what we find is that this writer in Revelation 6 doesn't quite fit the description of Christ in Revelation 19. This writer is given just one crown, but Jesus is going to have on his head many diadems. This writer has a bow, but Jesus will have a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. As we compare the pictures, while they they are similar, the differences amount to recognizing that this is not the Christ, this is a cheap imitation, a parody. And Jesus actually warned us about such a thing. Uh, Jesus taught about the end times in Mark 13, and I'm going to be reading several passages from Mark 13 as we go along today because Jesus' teaching in that chapter is really similar to what we see in this chapter of Revelation. In Mark 13, 5 and 6, Jesus said, "'See that no one leads you astray.'" Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. So throughout history, throughout this period of time between Jesus' first coming and second coming, conquerors arise. They amass followers, and their followers place their hope in this conqueror. But these conquerors pale in comparison to the king of kings who brings true victory. So that's the first seal, conquest. Second, uh, or uh, the second seal, let's look at that in, uh, in verses 3 and 4. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. So with this seal, peace is removed from the earth, which, of course, leads to violence, persecution, murder, wars. Jesus said in Mark 13, 7 and 8, when you hear wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom quick glance at a history textbook will show you that the story of humanity is littered with war after war and battle after battle. That's the second seal. Peace removed. Violence. 
The third seal comes in verses 5 and 6. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. So a denarius was an entire day's wages. So what we see here is that wheat and barley are very expensive. Well, that indicates that this is symbolic of an economic crisis leading to famine. Jesus said in Mark 13, 8, there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Uh, This picture in this third seal uh, might look in reality as something like as mild as inflation, making the price of food higher, but it gets much more extreme in other places. According to the United Nations, nearly one in three people in the world, 2.37 billion people did not have access to adequate food in 2020. That's the third seal. Finally, look at the fourth seal in verses 7 and 8. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. What we see is that this is a period marked by death. When you see endless wars, when you see mass shooting after mass shooting, you're seeing the fourth seal. When we saw COVID-19 turn the world upside down, when we saw this pandemic, this pestilence, take the lives of people that we love, seeing the fourth seal. So, so far, here's what we see between, first, uh, between Christ's first coming and His second coming. We see conquerors. We see violence. We see economic instability. We see death. How do we respond to this? Well, first, recognize that what this shows us, all of this is part of God's sovereign plan. Everything that we've just seen is part of God's sovereign plan. All of this, the conquering and the peace being removed, the violence, the famine, the death, the pestilence, all of that comes from the scroll. That's in the hand of God on the throne. All of this comes about because King Jesus unfolds it. Uh, Notice even throughout these verses, the the first writer was given a crown. The second writer was given a sword. Death and Hades were given authority. And we already know from Revelation 1.18 who really has authority over death and Hades. The one who has the keys of death and Hades is the resurrected Christ himself. So all of this that we see 
is under God's sovereignty. It's part of his plan and his scroll. So we weep over senseless violence. But remember that God has a purpose. If you're like me, it seemed like the effects of COVID were so random, yet they weren't random because God is in control. God doesn't always show us his specific purpose for every specific event, but Revelation 6 reminds us that every event is in God's scroll. It's all part of his plan for his purpose. But then second, we need to understand that all of that is meant to get our attention. It's meant to get our attention because things like conquest and violence and uh, economic crises and death, all those things are so common, it's easy for us to kind of become numb and just think, ah, it's just part of normal life. These things happen. Another war, yeah, that happens. Another mass shooting, yeah, that happens. Another disease, yeah, that happens. Another famine, yeah, that happens. It's part of normal life. But Jesus has given us revelation to pull back the curtain and show us the reality behind the things that we see. He he pulls back the curtain to show us what's going on behind the scenes of the events that we would just call a normal life. These are not randomly occurring events. This is not chaos unfolding. This is the deliberate unfolding of God's sovereign plan. And all of these events are going somewhere. There is a progression. There is a purpose. There is an end. Ultimately, this is all leading toward the judgment of God. Justice is coming. So, when you see a tyrant taking power, when you hear the news of the next mass shooting, when you see everything from inflation to starvation, when you see wars and pandemics, how will you respond? Will you respond with a political opinion? Will you just kind of ignore these negative things and focus on something more positive? Will you just try to move on as fast as possible? I know I was, during the pandemic, that was something I was especially inclined to respond with, which is like, can we just get past this? Let's just, let's just move on. This is, this is terrible. I don't like it. Let's just move on. But when we respond like that, when we respond with, with a political opinion, as if really all that matters is the here and now and this world and these nations, and, and, and really th- this little bubble that I live in is all that really exists. Or when we respond with just trying to, to focus on something more positive and, and just suppress these negative things or try to get, move on as fast as possible, we're missing God's purpose in those events. Instead of those responses, let these things point you to Christ, 
That's their purpose. That's their intention to point you to Christ. Let these things be a reminder to you that Jesus is coming back. Let these things remind you to cling to the one who is unfolding the scroll. Let these things remind you to share the gospel with the people who live in this world where death is all over. Let let these things remind you that justice is coming. Heed the warning of Christ. Second, if justice is coming, then we can rest in the vengeance of Christ. Rest in the vengeance of Christ. The first four seals are very similar to one another, and they're they're sort of a group. Uh, The fifth one is different than the ones that came before it. Let's look now at verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. So remember, as John is seeing all these visions, he's still within He's still in the spirit, we, we saw in chapter 4. He, he's within this symbolic vision of the heavenly throne room, uh, which is also pictured throughout Revelation as a heavenly temple. It's going to be important in a second. Uh, and when those first four seals were opened, he saw things, though, that would affect life on earth, okay? Uh, right? Famine, conquering, wars, uh, disease, all those things are affecting life on earth. But when this fifth seal is opened, he looks over within the heavenly temple and he looks over at the heavenly altar and he sees something. There in heaven were the souls of Christians who had been killed for the sake of the gospel. There was Stephen, the first Christian martyr. There, under the altar, the place of, that offerings were made, was the soul of the Apostle Paul, who had written just a few years earlier in 2 Timothy 4, 6, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He, he looks over, he sees the soul of Antipas, who had been a part of the church in Pergamum and was killed for the sake of the gospel. Uh, There under the altar were the souls of every Christian who had died at the hand of the emperor Nero, killed by crucifixion, by being burned alive, by being devoured by wild animals. These souls were faithful to carry out the mission that Jesus has given us. Jesus said in Mark 13, verses 9 through 13, but be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
this is our calling. Those of us who follow Christ, this is our identity. We are those entrusted with the gospel that must go to the nations. We are the ones called to proclaim to the nations who Jesus is, what He has done to save sinners. And in that mission, in that identity, we are called to endure all the way to the end. Loving not our lives, even unto death. That's who these souls are. They are the ones who have conquered by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. But did you know that you can be in heaven and still be dissatisfied? These souls are in heaven, yet they're wanting something. They're dissatisfied. Look at verse 10. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? These souls look to Jesus and cry to Him and beg for justice. Because in this moment, final justice hasn't come. They're longing for that coming justice. They pray the prayer of so many in Scripture. How long, O Lord? How long till you fulfill your promise? How long till you stick up for your name? Uh, They mention those who dwell on the earth. That's a phrase that's used all throughout Revelation for unbelievers. uh, Those who are in rebellion against God, who are opposed to those who follow the Lamb. And in this case, those who dwell on the earth are the ones who slayed these believers. They committed the kind of violence that we saw in the second seal, and these believers received the kind of death we saw in the fourth seal. So these souls, these believers in heaven are begging for justice. They ask Jesus, how long will it be before you repay our murderers for what they have done? They're dissatisfied because final justice hasn't yet come. And we just need to recognize that that dissatisfaction is not sinful. Remember, these are glorified saints. They are sinless They're praying a perfect prayer. And in fact, it's right in line with something that Paul said in Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. They're asking for the righteous God to do what He promised He would do. They're asking Him to keep his word and to act not so they feel good about what they get but for his glory and the sake of his name god's reputation is on the line and so they cry for justice they long for the day that jesus comes back and judges the living and the dead well the response to their cry comes in verse 11 Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest 
a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. They're given a white robe and told to rest. In chapter 7, we'll see that these robes are white because they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Believers in heaven can rest. And what an encouragement that is to those of us who have loved ones in Christ, who've gone before us, whose souls are in heaven now, that we can know they're at rest. They can rest not because of who they are or what they've done. They can rest because they have trusted in Jesus' death at the cross. And they've been given a robe that is white because it's been washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's no more suffering for them to endure. There's no more temptation that they have to resist. There's no more race left to run. They can simply rest. These souls are told that their waiting will only be a little while longer because there are still more of their fellow servants of Christ who are going to be added to their number. As we've already seen in Revelation, soon many from the church in Smyrna who are reading this book would be joining this group of people killed for the sake of Christ. Soon John, the author of this book, would be among this group killed for the sake of Christ. In God's sovereign plan, there is still more blood that is going to be shed. But they can rest knowing that Jesus will right every wrong. In fact, they can rest even knowing that there are still future injustices yet to come. But knowing that they will not have the final word. That Jesus will have the final word. If you're thinking about following Jesus, you need to understand that following Jesus is costly. It it will cost you something to follow Jesus. The invitation of Jesus is not, come to me and everything will be easy and happy. The invitation of Jesus is, deny yourself, take up your cross, which is a tool of execution, and follow me. That's Jesus' invitation. Following Jesus will cost you everything. But it is worth it. It is worth every bit of suffering. It is worth every penny lost. It is worth every persecution. It is worth every worldly opportunity passed up on. Following Jesus will cost you everything, but it is worth it. If you are faithful to Jesus, here's your future. You will be treated wrongly in this life. But one day you get to rest in the soul-satisfying presence of Jesus Christ. And you can be sure that He will right every 
wrong. That's the future for those of us who trust in Christ. Rest in His work. So because of this, you and I can endure mistreatment even now, even on this side of heaven, knowing that justice is coming when we are mistreated for being followers of Christ, we should not seek final justice here and now. Remember the words of Paul, beloved, do not avenge yourselves. When we're mistreated, we should not try to go get revenge or go get payback or make it right in and of ourselves by ourselves. Even before we get to our heavenly rest, we can rest in the vengeance of Christ. We can count on Jesus to make everything right. Justice is coming, so rest in the vengeance of Christ. Finally, third, beware the wrath of Christ. Beware the wrath of Christ. Let's look at the sixth seal. Let's look at verses 12 through 14. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. John sees cataclysmic symbols. The sun turns completely black. The earth shakes. Uh, the moon becomes like a ball of blood in the sky. The stars are, are falling to the earth. The sky disappears. Mountains, islands just are gone. Well, these are images, symbols that God uses to describe the day of the Lord in the Old Testament. In Joel 2, 30 and 31, God said, And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. The day of the Lord is the coming day of final judgment. These cataclysmic symbols are the announcement that the day has arrived. It's time for King Jesus, this conquering Christ, to return. Jesus himself said in Mark 13, verses 24 through 26, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. So in this vision of events that take place between the first coming and the second coming of Christ, John sees this announcement right before the second coming of Christ. These signs that announce that King Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead. 
The day of the Lord is here, these signs announce. So then John sees a vision of how those who dwell on the earth respond to this announcement that the day of the Lord has arrived. The announcement of the second coming of Christ. Because they know what has come upon them. It's unmistakable. So here's what they do in verses 15 through 17. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? There is no one so important that they will get out of the final judgment. There's no one so important that they will get a pass on the wrath of the Lamb. The kings of the earth aren't exempt. John already told us in Revelation 1.5 that Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. The great ones aren't great enough. The generals aren't strong enough. The rich and powerful can't buy their way out. Everyone, slave and free, will face the wrath of the Lamb. And these who dwell on the earth know what has come upon them, so they hide. They're so desperate that they call on the rocks to fall on them, that that they might be hidden from the face of the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty and the wrath of the Lamb. Jesus is coming soon. He's coming to judge the living and the dead. He'll say in Revelation 22.12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. And when Jesus comes, you will be part of one of two groups. Either you will be a part of those who dwell on the earth, who trust in themselves, who will be judged for their sin against God, who see the wrath of Jesus coming and try to hide, but who in the end will not be able to stand. Or, you will be among those who follow the Lamb. Who trust in Jesus to save them from their sins. Whose sins have already received the wrath of God when Jesus died for them. Who see Jesus coming and don't have to hide in the rocks because they have already hidden in the blood of the Lamb. So which group will you be in? If you have never trusted in Jesus, you need to hear the call of Revelation 6 to repent. You need to repent. You need to turn away from your sin. Turn away from trusting in yourself to make yourself right with God. Turn away from that and turn to Jesus as your Savior and your Lord and your greatest treasure. Turn to Him for your life. Turn to Him for salvation. Turn to Him for righteousness. 
We have all sinned against a holy God. Every one of us. No one is good. Not even one. We deserve to be punished for our sin. And when Jesus returns, if you have not trusted in him to save you, you will face his eternal wrath. So repent. Turn to Jesus while you still have the chance. Jesus has given Revelation 6 to you as a merciful warning. He has been kind to you in giving you the chance to repent. So turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus. Receive him as your Savior and your Lord. For those of us who have trusted in Jesus, the coming wrath of Christ should drive us to share the gospel. This is coming. We must tell the world that the day of the Lord is coming. And I don't mean that we go on the street corner with a sandwich board and a bullhorn and say the end is near. But nevertheless, I do mean that there's no time to waste. Revelation 6 shows us we're not in a holding pattern. We are going to reach God's final destination without delay. We must tell the world that they can be saved from the wrath of God. There's an urgency about the fact that Jesus is coming. Justice is coming. The wrath of Christ is coming. For those of us who have trusted in Jesus, the coming day of the Lord should be a motivator for a number of things, including evangelism. One thing that this coming day of the Lord should drive us to is something you may not have thought about, but the Bible is clear about. The coming day of the Lord should drive us to go to church. Huh? (laughs) Where am I getting that? Well, listen to what Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's the day of the Lord, the day of the coming wrath of the Lamb, the day that makes those who dwell on the earth go to the mountains and say, fall on us in terror. That day has to do with why we should not want to neglect meeting together. It's not just those outside the church that need to be warned about the coming day of the Lord. Those inside the church need to be warned about this coming day as well. Because if we don't keep our faith in Christ until the end, if we don't endure, uh, we were just talking about the parable of the sower in uh, our, our Sunday school class this morning, about those who gave up on the gospel when Hard times came. Those who allowed the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches to choke out the gospel, they didn't end up bearing fruit. If we don't keep our faith until the end, if we don't endure, if we don't persevere, we will experience judgment at the day of the Lord. So we need to gather regularly together as a church to encourage one another to persevere, to, to, to encourage one another to keep on holding on to Jesus. 
I wondered, do you know a brother or sister who is neglecting to meet with us? I don't mean those who are unable to meet due to life circumstances, who want to be here but can't. I mean, do you know anybody who's neglecting to meet with us? They might be in serious spiritual peril. A desire to gather with God's people is a fruit of saving faith. And if that desire is not present, that should be cause for alarm. If you know of someone neglecting to gather with us, are you pursuing that person? It's so easy to just think, ah, it's not a big deal. But Revelation 6 should reorient the way that we think about everything, including, I haven't seen that person in a long time. That is a soul that needs to be encouraged by the gathering of God's people to stay close to Christ, to not neglect faith in the Lord. So if you know of that person, are you stirring them up to love and good works as we're called to, as, as is our responsibility as, the, of, as those who follow the Lamb? Do you have the same urgency about their need to gather with the church that the Holy Spirit did when he breathed out this passage? The wrath of Christ is real. So beware. Whether you need to repent or you need to encourage someone else to repent, beware the wrath of Christ and act accordingly. So again, in all of this, the message of Revelation 6 is clear. Justice is coming. The question is, are are you living like it? Are you heeding the warning of Christ? Or are you ignoring the warning like a check engine light that you're so used to you don't even notice it anymore? Are you resting in the vengeance of Christ? Are you still trying to take matters into your own hands, growing anxious? Are you living as if the wrath of Christ really is coming? Or are you choosing not to take sin seriously, whether that's your sin or somebody else's sin? May our worldview be shaped by a felt awareness that Jesus is coming soon. Justice is coming. So may we live like it. As we come to the Lord's table today, we are reminded both that justice is coming and that justice has already come. The Lord's Supper reminds us that Jesus is coming back. Because when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim the blood of the Lamb that can wash our robes white. And he promised that we would drink with him when he comes and when we come into his kingdom. So this Lord's Supper reminds us, it points our eyes forward to the future for when Jesus comes. But the Lord's Supper also reminds us that Jesus has already come. We who trust in Christ, we were sinners heading for the wrath of God that we deserve 
for our sins. But Jesus came and he died in our place and took the wrath that we deserve for our sin. When he died, you will recall, the sun turned dark, the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Because just like the judgment of God is going to come on the last day, the judgment of God came that day at Calvary on your sin in Christ. If we wash ourselves in his blood, we can be white as snow. This meal reminds us of Jesus' sacrifice. The bread reminds us of his body broken. The cup reminds us of his blood poured out. It reminds us that justice is coming. Justice has already come. This sacred time of the Lord's table, uh, at the Lord's table is for believers who have rested all their hope on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you're not yet a believer, we would ask that you refrain from partaking uh, of this meal until you come to faith in Christ, and then joyfully partake with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Use this time, rather than taking of the Lord's Supper, use this time to think about the call of God to repent. Use this time to turn, to place your faith in Jesus. We would encourage those of you who are believers to examine your hearts so that you can partake in a worthy manner. If your heart is, is harboring unrepentant sin, uh, please refrain until you can come freely to partake of the Lord's Supper. But if you are a member of the body of Christ, Jesus invites you to come to his table. Uh, this is a meal that's not just for our local body, but for the global body of Christ. So if you're a baptized member of a gospel preaching church in good standing, we would invite you to come to the table and partake with us. In a moment, I'm going to pray and uh, we'll sing a song. And during that time that we're singing, as you're ready, uh, you can come to the table uh, and receive the elements. And then we would just ask that you take them back to your seat and hold on to them until we can all partake together. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to the table, we're reminded that justice is coming, that there will come a day when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom. He will come to judge the living and the dead. And Lord, we're reminded that that coming wrath is what our sins deserve. Yet, this table reminds us that that wrath is what our sins have already received if we're in Christ. Lord, I thank you that because of what this bread and cup represent, we don't have to be afraid of Jesus' coming, but instead we'll rejoice when we see the Lamb who was slain. Lord, I pray that we would have a sober delight in partaking of this table, in experiencing your presence with us. Lord, as we remember that your judgment came on Christ that day at Calvary, 
so that those of us who are hidden away in the blood of the Lamb, who have our, our robes washed white, might be spared your coming wrath. Lord, I pray that we would delight in your perfect righteousness that you have worked to make unrighteous people like us declared righteous in Christ. Lord, just ask that you would be honored in this moment of worship. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all, well, actually, you can remain seated and come receive the elements as you're ready.